Welcome to Cardboard Conjecture. We're a podcast about board games where we have opinions and conclusions formed on the basis of incomplete information. This episode of Cardboard Conjecture is brought to you by these great Saskatoon businesses. Amazing Stories Comics on 8th Street, Dragon's Den Games on 8th Street, and Breakout Escape Rooms on Faithful Avenue. Welcome! I'm your host, Norm, and this is the Cardboard Conjecture Podcast. And on this episode, some games of late, and it's reviews. And I'll be reviewing Three Sisters and Now or Never. Or Never. Or Never. Cardboard Conjecture is proudly sponsored by... Amazing Stories Comics on 8th Street in Saskatoon. They're the winner of the Joe Schuster Award for Best Comic Book Store in Canada, and they were also nominated in 2016 for the U.S. Eisner Spirit of Comics Retailer Award, presented at Comic-Con. Amazing Stories' amazing collection of comic books, board games, puzzles, and collectibles can be found in their store or on their new online website. And welcome back. This is Cardboard Conjecture, and let's get into some games of late. And I'm telling you, I had some fun with my games of late. Um, you know what? I'm going to start with the one that is the, uh, the, the, the most soul-filling game of late. And uh, just, just recently had an opportunity uh, that hasn't happened in a long time. And boy, did I miss it. I uh, got to play a game with Ryan from uh, Mr. Rao Gaming Rants and Reviews, formerly of Cardboard Conjecture. And uh, yeah, he came over. We had some Gamers Garage two-player. And uh, before I even tell you what game it is, I just want to remind everybody that uh, I think, at least for me, the best part of this hobby is being able to sit across the table from somebody and uh, uh, have that experience. I mean, uh, like we've talked to each other through Zoom and the whole ton, but it's it's not the same as being in the same room as the uh, of, as the person and you're playing the game and and the just the the dynamic, the synergy. It was oh, it was awesome. So what we played and before a little <laughs> little footnote to this, uh, I lost badly but i love this game and that's a testament to how good this game is and yes i'll get to it <laughs> the game is genties or genties um and uh, it's designed by stefan uh Risthaus. i apologize if i i, I uh, said that incorrectly and uh, published by spielworks uh yuli you have awesome games the uh, like i have a uh, my fun little uh uh, Spielworks collection in the go in behind me here, but um, this is, uh, I'll just quickly read the, the uh, prompt to it, the, the headspace. In the first millennium BC, city-states and ethnic groups, sometimes spanning large areas, rose in the eastern Mediterranean. Yeah, a Euro game about the Mediterranean. Wow. Uh, th- through conquest and commerce, new states, kingdoms, and people peoples rose and had their respective heyday. So uh, it's, yeah, it is that uh, uh, civilization development um, uh, Mediterranean Euro game. Like we don't have enough of those, hey? But you know what? We don't have enough of the really good ones. And this is one of the really good ones. 
Um, I mean, it's a uh, card drafting. It, I mean, it's a Euro. There's so many elements to it in regards to the civilization building. And uh, the, uh, the, the first thing I'm going to say about it is uh, it has so much depth and so many potential paths to uh, success. And, uh, and again, like I said, I didn't find any one of those paths. I was standing in the, in the wheat field looking where the paths were. Um, but the, uh, the game is so fantastic in regards to the, the, the worker scale in front of you. On your player, uh, on your player tableau, uh, the, of course, you're going to have all these elements. But the one element that is necessary for this game is, is population, right? And not only population, but your different... Uh, um, sections of population, your merchants, your your agriculture, uh, com, uh, you know, all all of those uh, um, dynamics in civilization building are implemented in a way that you have six different tracks, but you have three different. I mean, you have six different elements, three different tracks, because on on opposite ends of the spectrum of each of these tracks. Uh, they go, you know, from the right side, they'll move left. From the left side, they'll move right. And they represent uh, the, the amount of population of a certain type. Let's say it's, uh, you know, workers or craftspeople or um, it is uh, um, uh, politicians or, or um, governance. Um, these will go from one to six. And the, the importance of these is because it's a card-driven drafting game where you select cards and play them to your tableau and the way that you can play these specific cards let's say you know uh, um, uh, um, a shipyard well you have to have certain elements and and reverse engineer the ability to play this card so there's a lot of planning there's a lot as, as we both um, uh, use the term in the game we, we kind of stare at the board for a while as we're trying to math out the the path to what we wanted to accomplish and go okay before i get there i got to do this before i got to do okay um it's one of those games if you like those types of games this is it um uh, i hadn't played it in about a year and uh brought it out because it was one of those you know it's like hey we haven't played games in such a long time didn't know what to play so i brought a stack out and uh yeah this is one of those games where you a couple a couple plays and then you'll get the knack of where where the 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 balance is to what cards are available to you and, and how these cards will affect the outcome of of building into the area and um, yeah the cool part about this game is time because each thing each action will take uh, time or resources in this case money and uh, yeah I can mean I, I don't want to go into a review. Um, but uh, yeah, this is such a fun game. Uh, Gentis, or as I said, Gentis, um, designed by, once again, Stefan uh, Risthaus and uh, published by Spielworks. My other game is a game that I had my eye on for a while because I heard a lot of people talking about it. And, uh, the, and of course, the visual... Uh, um, you know, the visual of this is just stunning. And I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll canvas. That's the game. I'll spit it out. Canvas. Um, the uh, Designed by Jeffrey Chin and Andrew uh, Nezer. Uh, illustrated by uh, Luan uh, Huynh. And graphic design by Jeff 
Jeffrey Chin. And this game is published by R2I Games. And uh, it is, uh, yeah, I mean, Canvas, just it's about making art. You are, you, are you, you know what, instead of just me freeforming, I'll read the overview because they, they've done such a good job. You're a painter competing in a prestigious art festival. Over the course of the game, you will collect transparent art cards and layer them to create paintings. Depending on which cards you choose and the order in which you place them, you will reveal or cover icons that trigger various scoring conditions. We'll get to that. Each card combination creates a fun, unique illustration and title for your painting. When all the, painting, when all the players have completed three paintings, the game ends and the player with the most points wins best in show. So it is that, uh, that idea of those uh, see-through kind of uh, plastic cards where Mystic Veil started that idea of, of card building, I guess. Uh, sorry, element drafting card building or card creation. And that's what you're doing here is you have a market of these uh, see-through acetate type cards and uh, each card will have an image element on it. And at the bottom, you'll have from left to right color swatches that re represent the symbols that you're going to try and I would collect, match, configure Right as you're developing this painting, you're trying to uh, match or uh, potentially create a painting that. Now again, here's the cool part that corresponds to four of the variable um, scoring or or contest element uh, decisions. And uh, just as an example, there could be a rule about variety that in your painting you have to have uh, a hue. Uh, and what, okay, so hue, shape, texture, tone. Those are the four, I would say, elements of composition to this painting. And those are like the set collecting things that we're looking at. And they're all different icons, right? So in, in uh, uh, variety, uh, if your painting has one of each, then you get a ribbon. Uh, repetition, if you have a pair of, let's say a pair of shapes, and in this case, shape is represented by the icon of a triangle. If you have two triangles in your picture, you get a, a, a ribbon. And these ribbons or these categories are randomly placed in uh, the red ribbon, say that five times, red ribbon uh, area or the green ribbon or the blue ribbon or the purple ribbon. Now there are uh, gray ribbons that you can get because on these cards there are also bonuses that will say get a gray ribbon per texture icon that you have on this picture. And the gray ribbons are uh, victory points, just straight up victory points, two, uh, two, I believe, yeah, two victory points at the end of the game. Now, when all these cards are, are, are all these three paintings are, are created, everybody will have sets of ribbons uh, in front of them. That is the big scoring moment because you'll go back to these categories of red ribbon, green ribbon, blue ribbon, purple ribbon, and look at the rule or the uh, composition target or objective and it'll say like in the case of variety it'll say if you have one ribbon it's worth four points if you have collected two red ribbons through the course of your paintings you have eight points if you've collected three red ribbons in the course of creating these three paintings you collect 13 so that's those types of scoring conditions are in each uh, um, 
uh, composition uh, objective, like repetition. Uh, another one, it could be like emphasis and composition. There is a deck of these uh, scoring options. So the variability is incredible. The variability also with uh, creating these uh, paintings, you have a really good deck of acetates. Um, now, I can't see... I'm going to say this just out of out of my knowledge and how much I play uh, uh, games, you know, in, uh, in you know more than ten times or more than six times. Um, I can't. If this was a game that the family loved all the time and played it a ton, then you you would start being familiar with the cards and which you know what works well with the other one. But I'm not a big card counter. I'm all about just in the moment kind of thing. So. I totally appreciate what this game is and what it does. And uh, again, um, without getting too deep and verbose about it, uh, it is a um, like a, a low cognitive load kind of rule set game. There's two things you do. You either get acetates or you make a painting. That's it. If you have five acetates in your hand, you must make a painting. And uh, there you go. But the, the pain... The decision-making pain is in the composition of this painting and also looking at the market going, what's going to work with what I have? It's the same level of pain when I play Arboretum. When you have to play a card, to, you know, take two cards, play one to your tableau, discard one. That discarding moment, I, I just lock out, right? I, I just get stuck on, ah, it's painful just to let this card go. The same thing that decision-making space of, well, do I put this on top? But if I put this on top, I take away one element. I'm not going to score this ribbon if I don't score the. Oh, it just, <laughs> it's basically the brain will just go into this framework of yes, no triggers all the way down to the moment where you, you realize I haven't moved in five minutes. <laughs> so bottom line, um, I'm having so much fun with this game. And the best part is I did my homework for this game because I thought my wife would really like this game and her hobby is reading books. So for me to pull her away from her hobby to participate in my hobby, I best have something that she likes and she likes it. Yay. Mikey will eat anything, right? If you're my, if anyone who understood that reference, yeah, welcome to the uh, older age people. <laughs> This episode of Cardboard Conjecture is proudly sponsored by Dragon's Den Games, located in the Louis VIII Mall on H Street in Saskatoon. Swing by Dragon's Den Games and let Darren, Al, and the awesome staff help you out in search for great board games, role-playing games, miniature systems, and all of the related accessories. Be a part of their gaming communities that have scheduled events in their great gaming area. Dragon's Den Games, Louis VIII Mall on H Street in Saskatoon. Hey there, welcome back. This is Cardboard Conjecture. I'm your host, Norm, and let's check out what's trending. And uh, looking at the BGG <laughs> page, uh, um, just as I was deciding what I would talk about in the, in the trending range, this popped up and I, uh, my jaw hit the table because this snuck right past me. I was not aware of this at all. And what am I talking about? I'm talking about Gloom Holden. 
And it is referred to as a no-table-needed no shrunk version of Gloomhaven. Okay, let me give you the description here. So, Gloomholden is an 18-card, no-table-needed version of Gloomhaven. <laughs> yeah, wrap your brain around that for a while. Uh, it can be played completely in your hand, but I provide a way to play it on table as well. So, uh, regarding spoilers, if you haven't played Gloomhaven, you won't be spoiled on much with Gloomholden. You'll see the, uh, the names and the art of the number of monsters and items from Gloomhaven, but that's about it. Gloomholden has its own plot lines, so you won't be spoiled of any of Gloomhaven's campaign details. I want to, and that's when it says, I want to say this is of the, from the designer here. Um, I want to say a huge thank you to Cephalofair Games for giving their blessing to post Gloomholden for free download and for granting permission to use original Gloomhaven art, characters, lore, etc. Please be respectful of Cephalofair Games' generosity and only use Gloomholden as a free print and play game for personal use. Gloomholden assets are derivatives of Gloomhaven from Cephalofair Games. Under uh, And then again, it just goes into the licensing. So the designer is not Isaac. The designer is Joe. I'm going to get this. Clipfell. Joe Clipfell. And uh, there is no publisher. It's web publish and it's a free download. And uh, wow, cool. Uh, and again, um, I think the, the trending thing is the fact that everyone's trying to figure out how did you get the most massive table hog of a game? And, and granted, I'm not dissing Gloomhaven. I love Gloomhaven. Um, but it's, it's got a lot of bits and pieces. How in my brain is just like, is like having a, 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 a fall down moment. I'm trying to figure out how you get that into an 18 card game. Wow. Okay. And have a like a some somewhat of a storyline. Um, ah, yeah, I know what I'm doing this weekend. I'm going to do some print and play, <laughs> even if I have to go buy a color printer. <laughs> so yeah, that sounds so cool. Gloom Holden, 2021, and as I said, designed by Joe Cl uh, Clipfell, and uh, um, it is uh, as as was mentioned. Um, a huge thank you to Cephalofair Fair Games for giving their blessing to post Gloom Holden for free download. So if you'd like to check that out, uh, come over to BGG, and I will try my best to remember to put a link in the show notes, and uh, and I'm going to hold myself to that. So there you go. Yeah, that's what's trending, and uh, I am so surprised by that. I just want to stop right now and go and go <laughs> print it out. Uh, and I mean, it's got a very uh, already has a very uh, high community rating on it. So, yeah, wow, I'm so, color me curious. All right, cardboard curious. Hi, if you like the content we're creating and the podcast episodes we're producing, please leave a happy rating on the podcast platform that you use. This would be such a great gift and would also help others find our podcast when they search for board game podcasts. And if you have the time, check out our new YouTube channel where we have new content every few days. Just search Cardboard Conjecture on YouTube. Thanks, eh? Hey.
Okay, well, let's check out what is new. All right, so on the new scene, which is uh, which is kind of very contradictory uh, from the <laughs> prairies in Saskatchewan, because that newness will come in a, I don't know, maybe a year, two. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Yeah, a little longer than that. Um, so uh, I'm going to first of all say that uh, th- this publishing company is on fire lately with all of the fantastic titles they're coming out with. And the, the publisher, Borden Dice, um, you are knocking it out lately. I'm so impressed. And the, uh, so what's new, uh, according to uh, BGG, is Founders of Teotihuacan. I hope I said that properly. Establish yourself as one of the great founders of Teotihuacan. Uh, it is designed by Philip Gl- Glawicz. I'm sorry if I mispronounce it. I am so sorry. Uh, so let's get a quick description here. Uh, travel back in time to the founding of one of the greatest cities of Mesoamerica and become a part of its history once again. Design the foundations of a great pre-Columbian civilization with its buildings, temples, and a grand pyramid in the center. Find perfect locations for production buildings and great temples and build the might of the Great Pyramid overlooking your city. Establish yourself as the very best among competing architects, and your project will secure you a spot among the great founders of Teotihuacan. Um, So, that sounds like a great idea, a great uh, uh, setup. And uh, so, I'm just quickly looking at the the mechanisms they're using so I can kind of interpret how they're going to try and accomplish this or fuse this together. And uh, I'm seeing some action points, uh, contracts, end of game. Bo- oh, I like end of game bonuses because that... Uh, and now, again, I don't know if the end of game bonuses are are hidden or if they're, or if they're uh, public knowledge. Um, that, would be cur- that would be cool. Uh, market, market always... That's always good because, I mean, with the contracts, that's probably where you're pulling the market from. Tile placement... I mean, you're building your civilization. Uh, turn order progressive. Hmm. Anytime that I see a, a, a focus on turn order or initiative order, the, I mean, it's obvious that the importance of that contributes to the selections of things that are on the board. Awesome. And the last one, I know people are going to, I know some people are going to cringe. Uh, worker placement. I like worker placement, so I'm okay with that. Uh, yeah, this looks very cool. Um, now we'll re- rewind a bit and, uh, I have not played the original, right? Or the, uh, the main title, Teotihuacan, uh, of the T series I've played Zulkin and I adored Zulkin. Uh, I played it with the, I was introduced to it with the gamer's garage and, uh, uh, won the game. And I think it was a total fluke. Um, and then I um, downloaded a solo version that I'm, I'm starting to kind of put together and work my way around and, uh, and have some fun with that. And there is a version on Board Game Arena that I played a few times. And uh, yeah, I, I, for some reason, I grok this game. I, 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 can, I, I mesh with it very fluidly. I, it's weird. Um, and uh, so yeah, this is Color Me Curious again. With the coloring, right? Um, uh, I'm very curious about uh, about this game. Nice, nice. So the last thing we're gonna do is have a look at some crowdfunding. Well, look at here, crowdfunding time, and it's closing soon. But 
I mean, understand that it this will hit the uh, the the shelves of your friendly local game store, but it might not last because uh, I'm talking about Sleeping Gods: Distant Skies, the follow-up to Sleeping Gods, and this is designed by Ron Lockett, and uh, and he is the artist as well, and he is the publishing company Red Raven Games. He the the Michael the Leonardo da Vinci of cardboard. Um, so yeah, it is uh, the the concept Sleeping Gods. I've not played it because as I comically mentioned, it'll hit the shells but not for long and I missed it. So I'm 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 not going to say desperate. I'm super interested in playing Sleeping Gods. The uh, I have well, I'm I mean, I'm going to review now or never and uh, the 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 narrative or the 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 groove that Red Raven Games is in with the with the Arzium world building and the trilogy they've created, uh, yeah, fine, 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 and so I can only expect the same level of quality and and narrative storytelling um, creativity uh, of Sleeping Gods: Distant Skies. The uh, I mean, I'm gonna I'll quickly read the, the 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 big plug here. So San Francisco, 1937, your cargo plane flies through a portal in the sky. Ah! transporting you to a rugged landscape filled with bizarre creatures, scheming gods, and untold dangers. But can you find your way back before the portal closes? Uh, yeah, good inflection, hey? Uh, I'm excited. And uh, so, yeah, this one, quickly uh, have a look at the mechanisms that they're going to try to make all this happen with. And, I mean, action points. A lot, a lot, of, uh, a lot of Red Raven games has a lot of these different things you know uh, action point selection there's a lot of choices in regards to what you can do on your turn and i that's really that's a great feature that uh red raven games has in their publishing methodol or the uh gaming design methodology so uh deck and bag and pool building narrative choice of course push your luck and solo like me some solo uh so yeah uh i'm not going I'm not going to say whether or not I've already um, uh, um, clicked on that button. Yeah, I might have backed it. Um, so we might be talking about this one uh, in the near future. Hopefully, the world has uh, settled down with the whole shipping. Um, uh, um, uh, Salvador, Salvador Dalian explanation of costs. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, there you go. That's what's on. Uh, what that? Well, that's the interesting thing that I want to mention on the uh, crowdfunding scene. So there you go, Sleeping Gods, Distant Sky. This episode is supported by the incredible team at Breakout Escape and Board Game Lounge here in Saskatoon. Using industry-leading technology, Breakout Escape Rooms are all 100% uniquely designed by the team to ensure their patrons have maximum fun while staying safe. As well, they are a fully licensed board game lounge with over 400 titles to select from to ensure fun for every gamer, new and experienced. Be sure to check them out at BreakoutSask.com. At Breakout Escapes and Board Game Lounge, they believe that life is more fun when you play games. Hey, welcome back. It's time to get into the reviews. And I'm going to start off with Three Sisters. And let's get the let's get to the details of Three Sisters. So, Three Sisters is designed by Ben Pinchback and Matt Riddle, with illustrations by Marlies Berenz and Beth Sobel, and is published by Motor City Gameworks. 
It plays one to four players and predictable game time or somewhat predictable game time is 30 to 60 minutes. Uh, yeah, there you go. There's the, there's the uh, details of this game. And let's get into some nuts and bolts. And by nuts and bolts, I mean, uh, let's understand what the, uh, what, the, what the introduction of the game is in the overview. And then we'll get into more of the ideas of how you play and win this game. So to introduce Three Sisters... I will. Uh, I'm gonna go to their uh, their wonderful uh, uh, rule book here, and I'll get to that one later. So, the garden plot in your backyard is tilled and ready. The days are getting longer, and the weather warmer. Your kids have come home from camp, eager to teach you a gardening method called companion planting. This technique has been practiced by indigenous peoples for centuries to grow a trio of crops known as the three sisters: corn, beans, and squash. The corn provides a lattice for the beans to climb. The beans transfer nitrogen from the air to the soil, and the squash creates a natural ground cover that reduces weeds and keeps pests away. Your backyard also includes perennials, an orchard, and even a beehive to pollinate it all. Fill your shed with tools and your garden with compost. Between managing your crops and taking occasional trips to the farmer's market, your summer is going to be packed with activity. Can you grow the best bar garden in town? And uh, so, getting into the overview of what it is, in Three Sisters, you will select dice from the action rondelle in order to take actions in your backyard. The value of the dice determines uh, where you can plant or water in your garden, and then the location of the die on the rondelle determines which other action you can take. As your crops grow to maturity, you will harvest them for goods and points, Unlock bonuses from the tools in your shed, plan ahead for round-end events, and trigger delicious action combos in other parts of your backyard. After eight rounds of hard work are completed, the end results will be compared to see who can boast the biggest harvest. And in this point, of course, biggest harvest means most victory points. Because, you know, victory points are cool. Um, so there, yeah, there you go. There is... Uh, I mean, there's the introduction and the overview uh, of the nuts and bolts part. So um, the mechanisms, I'm going to quickly go through the mechanisms. And I mean, there's not much for me uh, the mechanisms. It's all about, you know, how you interpret these mechanisms and um, how you score points to win. So the, uh, the mechanisms, I mean, it's rolling dice, placing them on, on a rondelle. But the, as the, uh, everybody, so a rondelle circular action track that is just continuous and um, what you're what's needed at times is to understand where the start point is of every selection choice and in this case it's a mechanism called farmer edith a little meeple uh, that once um, you've uh, um, rolled your dice you place your dice in ascending pip order around the rondelle then you take Farmer Edith and you place Farmer Edith at the tape, which is, you know, the, the new head of this. Plop it there so that you now have a point of origin for the next round. Now you decide, okay, so once that action, that, that uh, mechanical action has happened, now you come into the mechanical action of uh, dice drafting. And with the dice drafting, there's, as mentioned, there's two things to pay attention to. The pip value, because on your player board, I'm, I'm bouncing all over. Um, visualize with me. On your player board, you have left side, which is majority of your garden and perennials, 
And on your right side, you will have uh, on the top, you'll have your um, apiary, which is your beehive section. And then underneath, you'll have four tracks of orchards with apples, peaches, raspberries, blackberries. Uh, on the bottom of that, where you store your goods, you, you uh, identify your goods and uh, uh, bonuses um, as you're tracking more and more goods. And then on the right hand of this right side sheet uh, is probably the most, I would say, one of the more important aspects of this game because it'll help you decide your strategy of the game. And I'm, I'm talking about the shed. And in the shed, uh, there will be um, not rule-breaking elements, but buffs for each area on that on, in your garden. Uh, and I mean each area, like specific, uh, the um, uh, perennials, but not just perennials, could be specific perennials in your uh, perennial garden, or it could be specific fruits in your orchard, or, you know, as you see what I'm going with. Um, so how this works, it's a, basically it's a roll and write. I don't even th I don't think I spit that out at the beginning. It's a roll and write game. Um, so you roll the dice, put them on the rondelle. Your first action is you pick uh, whatever pip. So in your garden area, your garden is divided into six different areas. These areas are not the same, uh, but they are same in the fact that they will have uh, a pumpkin, they will have corn, and they will have beans. Um, but depending on the size of the area, like pip one, pip two, area three, four, five, all the way to six. Um, some will have more corn, some will have less corn, some will have more pumpkins, some will have less pumpkins. Um, those are important because when you select that dice, you have two choices. First of all, it has to coincide with um, the pip location on your garden, but your compost can plus or minus that, right? That's where your compost kind of benefit comes in, where you get to mitigate that, um, that dice pip choice, okay? But backing up a bit so you pick that dice you have two things to do you can either plant twice or you can water that area now plant twice means starting these little tracks of these plants so if let's say you have four corn plants well uh i need to plant them so on the bottom of this little mini corn track there'll be three squares and a circle at the top once i check off that circle off the top that's where my victory points are happening anytime i see a circle on my player uh, boards or player mats, uh, typically the circles are um, demonstrate victory points for the end of the game. And uh, typically I say, because sometimes it could be goods. Um, now, how does, this, uh, how does this work towards your, you know, how do you win the game? You're trying to synergistically connect your choices with the, the garden growth, with the other gardens, like your perennials, your, your apiary, your uh, orchards, and your shed, you're trying to have those things all kind of find a synergy and an effect and a, let's see, a boost. Or I, I refer to, I use that buff, right? If you're going to go for um, the apiary approach where the beehive, well, you got to start your beehive and then at a certain point in the development of this hive, there's a branch of three different ways that you can go. Once you get to that branch, there's a lot of points to be had. At what cost, though, do you ignore planting in your garden? Because if you have a good garden, that garden, uh, as the game goes on, could develop a lot of victory points. So there you go. That's the idea of, of winning the game is try to find 
that organic growth towards victory points, towards these, um, um, I, I think, yeah, blue ribbons, like a good, uh, like a good fair, um, blue ribbons for all of your successful harvests. Uh, okay, so as we um, move on, um, let's go into some opinions. And uh, so, yeah, that, we're done with the overview and the nuts and bolts of it. Um, let's go, let's talk about how I feel about this game. Um, and I always like to start off with the outside-in approach. And outside-in for me is, um, I, you always eat with your eyes, right? And I, I mean, I've used that phrase before. And uh, Beth Sobel's art, to me, is delicious. Um, anything that you've seen uh, that has this um, watercolory depth to it, uh, wingspan, um, uh, I mean, there's, I, I could, I'm looking around Cascadia. There's so many um, games out there where you see this beautiful organic depth to the art. And nine times out of 10, it'll be Beth Sobel's. I've referred to her art in Wingspan as, as Audubon Society level, right? I mean, if, if you know what I'm talking about with the, with the scientific books and the, and the, the drawings of these animals. Um, yeah, it's fantastic. So, Right away, boom, I'm in. Now, um, uh, <laughs> the, the, the fonts and the graphic design, this is a straightforward roll and write. So it's all about the pad. It's all about um, being able to see connections through the chaos. Um, if, uh, I, I, and again, um, sometimes people have difficulty organizing, visually organizing stuff. And I think they've done a great job at delineating how these areas are, are, are demonstrated on the two-player board. So, well done. There's enough space that it doesn't feel crowded, but there's lots of information, if that makes sense. Uh, components. The dice are awesome. They have this pearl essence to it. Uh, with the, Usually in the, in the one-pip side, that's where people like to do a lot of branding, and they have a nice pumpkin there. So, and they're orange. They're orange D6s. Now, here, this is in my head what I thought is like, well, if you really want to have a pumpkin, you should have tried a D12. But that would change the whole dynamic of the game because, wow, that's a big garden. <laughs> um, okay, so now I'm just kind of going off on a tangent. That's my thing. Uh, all right, so rule book. Um, the, so the components are great. Um, so the rule book, get on, on the rule book. Um, it, it, uh, it is fantastic. I mean... There, I'm a, the first thing I'm going to recognize right away is uh, being a teacher, I'm all about eye fatigue. And, and um, I've so far into my career now that uh, the switch on in my brain about, man, this is going to be painful. Or I don't want to read this because I already I can tell that by the third page, uh, you know, it's going it, to be blinking a bit. Um, they did a great job on the foreground background separation. So there is there's relatively no eye fatigue. The font is a little small, but I will attribute that to my aging process. <laughs> um, but the, the important elements are bold-faced, and uh, there are uh, uh, fantastic graphics to help explain the, 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 the rule sets and the progress of the game. So um, no arguments. Uh, it, you, put it this way. You have to have a real bad rule book for me to trash your rule book or even to like you know poo poo the rule book so yeah i'm happy total game system game style it is the third the second game in the trilogy 
that first started with Fleet the Dice Game. And the, the, the development of this two-player board or this left-right player board um, uh, roll-and-write concept, uh, I think they did a great job. And I think they didn't just re, you know, slap a new theme on a mechanical idea they had from a previous game, but it does share the same DNA in a positive way that the the way the board is laid out that you'll if you've played fleet the dice game you'll look at the perennials and go that's kind of like the licenses the shed oh that's kind of like the you know the pier the docks or the you know the the businesses um the yeah so you'll see a lot of similarities in regards to the 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 i was going to say the scaffold or the engineering of the layout okay um if you have a great layout system in front of you, don't mess with it. Um, you can modify it and you can expand on it. And that's what they did. They made the shed a little more influential into the game um, differently than they did the with Fleet the Dice Game. What they completely radically changed is Fleet the Dice Game, you'd roll the dice and you would just put them out in the market and each person would pick a dice and then the last one, everybody would get that action. In this case, with using the rondelle, man, I thought that was like wicked clever. So, um, and again, it gives you the ability to have a double dimension to your action choice. Previously, you pick a dice, it's one thing you're doing. This time, it's potential of three things you're doing because your first one is seed or water and then do the rondelle. So you have, you have, you know, a lot of, choices with a small decision space if that makes sense it, it makes sense to me um so i like that i like that a lot um the unique mechanisms in this game so i always like to at least pull on that string a little bit to see if there's something to me from a design point of view or a, a methodology point of view that is unique and i think what to me is unique is um to the, to the trilogy is the impl implementation of the rondelle. I love rondelles. Um, so the implementation, implementation of this rondelle to me was like, nice, that gives more depth. But I think what is unique to this game is the, the development or the growth of seeing their player boards. I can't wait for the third game, which is, uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna fail on this title here. Um, it's about mo it's about the um, um, motor city industry. I mean, uh, from what I recall, there's a <laughs> there's a hot rod on the front, and they're from Detroit. So, I mean, you know, you put two and two together, you get vroom. Uh, so, the uh, to me, I, the uniqueness is my expectation of what are you going to do next with this um, zone implementation of your two two page player tableau. Um, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm super curious as to what's going to happen there. Does this all connect? It's a roll and write, right? There's no narrative storybook. There's no, you know, there's, there's no, uh, um, through line of a, of a, of a narrative. Um, but I do understand, uh, the choices, the mechanical choices they made to connect with the thematic choices that you're doing on the board or you know choosing in in the uh in the game um the 
the, the, I mean, it, it's, it's agriculture, it's growing, it's organic. I love the fact that when you're checking off your boxes, it's the idea of you start from ground level and the boxes check upwards, right, um, in regards to your corn. Uh, the way that the beans are able to be accessed is you must start your corn first because the beans grow up the, uh, the corn stalks. So um, the beans can only be planted once your corn gets to the second uh, checkbox. I, I, I think they've taken the time to um, have purpose to these, uh, um, you know, cold choices of take this number, put it here. They've, yeah, I think they made a great effort in regards to uh, having a purposeful connection. So well done. I'm happy. Uh, conclusions. Uh, yeah, this, uh, this is a great, the solo is fantastic. I've played this with a lot of people and it is such a fun game because the principle, I mean, if you win, great. But it's one of those games where if you've played it a few times, you get to play around. I'm going to try this next. I'm going to try this next. I'm going to try that next. So for me, it's a game that I, I, it's, you know, that idea of like, oh, I've solved it. And I'm not that kind of gamer. I, I'm not a big fan of those kind of gamers going, oh, we figured it out. It's like, really? Have you? Oh, wow. Good for you. <laughs> um, but I'm the kind of guy who is, I just want to go and, and pull buttons and push levers and, and, you know, or program something and then hit the on switch and watch what happens. Uh, this is one of those games because that cascading feature of, and I haven't even gotten to this one, uh, it, it's that's the part and it may, that might be the uniqueness too that I like um, very similar to Fleet the Dice game is you can get into a situation where in your goods every fifth good is a star if you check that star off that means that you have a bonus checkbox anywhere anywhere on your player tableaus which then can start making oh I check this off which gets me to check this off which gets me to check this off and then I get to check these two things off and then by the end of it you you want to just high five yourself because you're so brilliant <laughs> that's what I love about this game um, is uh, is it's it's just satisfying when you play it even when you lose and uh, so as far as uh, rolling rights go love this game um, as put it on a shelf, rolling the rolling rate shelf, top shelf. As far as like the entire collection, I would say it's you know uh, on the middle shelf and uh, looking upwards, trying to find what which game it's going to bump off that top shelf because it's it's got some it's got some stain it's got some growing power. Haha, <laughs> there you go. All right, now on to the second game of the review. It is, uh, we'll get, here's the details of it. Here's Now or Never, uh, published in 2022, designed by Ryan Lockett, uh, does, uh, art by Ryan Lockett, and published by Red Raven Games. It plays one to four players. It is a suggested playing time of 90 to 180 minutes, and it is, is the third in the Arzium series, the first being Above and Below, the second Near and Far, and now the third, as I said, Now or Never. So let's talk about the overview and the nuts and bolts of it. Um, I'm going to uh, read straight from the publisher in regards to the description. So, far to the south of the last ruin lies a cliffside village called The Monument. 
For generations, it protected an ancient shrine until the day a crystal meteorite descended. The meteor's denizens slowly crept out into the world, bizarre monstrosities from nightmare, attacking all in their path. As they spread across the land, they wa there was no intelligent malice nor grand invasion strategy. The creatures acted like a fungus, expanding into new territory sporadically. After many fruitless attempts to expel the monsters, the people of the monument fled as their village crumbled, exiled to distant lands, resigned to a nomadic existence. Twenty years later, there are rumors that the bizarre monsters are growing weak. They're slower, some undergoing a gradual petrification until they crumble to dust. It is something in the air? Are they dying of old age? Do they suffer from a strange disease? No one is certain, but as, they, as the news spreads, uh, various factions set their eyes on the vacant ruined village of the monument. The original villagers, now refugees, are desperate to return and rebuild. But they must do it quickly before someone else claims their home. This is their chance. It's now or never. Hey, that was pretty dramatic. Awesome. I am so bought into the narrative already. So uh, in now or never, um, you can either play solo or you can play up to four players. And you, uh, you compete to rebuild an ancient village and guide the rest of the villagers uh, on their journey home. And uh, although... The uh, creatures of the meteorite have lost much of their strength. Many of them remain, and you may fight them off to protect village, uh, traveling villagers, uh, which is the one of the ways that you can bring villagers to your own area. Um, now or never, like I said before, is the third in the Arzium series uh, with Above and Below uh, and Near and Far. And all are, um, um, I'm going to be bold here and say that, all have a standard mode of play and a storybook mode of play. And this one is not going to change. It does have, and I'm going to talk mostly about the standard play because I've yet to delve deep into the, the um, uh, story part of the play. So uh, so what you're doing is uh, it's a competitive strategy thing and you uh, are able to choose uh, asymmetric characters to start off with, um, which will in time develop their own strengths and their own um, uh, I mean, I guess weaknesses, but the uh, as I get into the the, the opinions of it, I'm going to have some really uh, interesting thoughts about the tiles in there. So um, you rebuild the village so that returning villagers have a place to live. You carefully choose what and where you build um, to maintain an advantage. Uh, and it's all about gaining resources like all of these games from above and below all the way uh, through the, uh, this this resource exchange system is 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 very compelling, and uh, as I said later, I'll have some opinions. So you interact with others. Uh, you can hire or use their specialists, and uh, as as if someone was to use my specialist, I would not be put off too much because I would get a smaller fee, right? Um, so that's uh, you can make some you know uh, advantageous money, but you then lose the ability to use that specialist in that turn. So uh, again, I, I'll, I'll talk about that later. So you interact with players using specialists, uh, uh, combat dangerous creatures to rescue the villagers. Those dangerous creatures will have benefits, but there's going to be some costs. Uh, and sometimes those costs are health are you know, uh, or, or the game, haha, <laughs> if you play like me. Um, so, and also too, this is where the, the, the bridge or the, the Venda or the, the fraction happens with between standard mode and story mode 
is when you go to explore and search, um, if you're in the storybook mode, uh, this, this is where you have your uh, choose your own adventure in regards to the script that's provided. Um, sorry, not necessarily the script, the architecture, the story, the narrative architecture that's provided. Uh, if you are in the standard mode, this will um, give you a, um, a coin resource generation because of your ability to get more knowledge through your search. And uh, on the, when you flip the tile over, you get a instantaneous benefit. So that's cool as well because that has this, like I said, this fractal function. I love it. Um, so, yeah, the, uh, the, the idea, journey to the monument and help rebuild your ancient home. The last thing before we get into opinions is uh, the simple, straightforward idea of how do you make points? How do you win? Now, in the standard play, uh, I'm, I'm only going to refer to the standard play, um, you create a synergistic system of resource generation at the end of each round in regards to the buildings that you put out and the spe and the villagers that populate those buildings. That will be at when you uh, when it comes to the, the the resource generation part of the round. That's where you're going to go through and see. Okay, I I I make three crystals. I make this much money, right? Um, that, that engine that you're developing is necessary for the, the, your ability to, uh, succeed or get stronger in the game. And it also creates your last, uh, uh, victory point. Um, I would say, uh, end of game scoring. I want to just say end of game scoring, because this is the cool thing. And I'm, it's not unique, but it's a, uh, it, it's kind of interesting is uh, at the last round, if you you go through the situation and at the last round, if you haven't used uh, all your money or all your resources, they go to zero because then you do one last resource generation and then and then sell your resources for gold and the gold is points. And uh, that's one of the uh, one of the main ways that you you create your points. And like a good Euro, there's going to be points for set collection in your villagers. Now visualize your, uh, in the opinions, I'll get deeper in it, but visualize on your tableau that you'll have, you'll have a rank and file grid kind of thing. Like a, a, a four, I think it's a four by five or four, four by four and uh, four on the bottom and the next level above, uh, above that and the next level above that. Um, that's where you put your buildings to the right of it is that each building can have a villager. And uh, if you have on your first level, if you have one, uh, uh, four villagers and each of them uh, produce different, uh, four of the different resources or, or one of each of the four different resources, you get five victory points. On the second level of buildings, if you complete that level, like a good Euro, you've, you've finished that set, you get victory points. And as you keep going higher and higher, you will get more victory points. So that's one way of getting victory points. Uh, another way is the uh, your cards. There's end of game scoring conditions on your cards as well. And the cards themselves will have uh, uh, victory points on them. And the uh, uh, one of the last ones that I haven't mentioned yet is the, uh, the buildings in your uh, uh, civilization community that you're built, your, your little village you're building, some of the buildings will have end of game point uh, scenarios that will generate some points. So that's basically the most points wins. Good Euro, VP.
So that's how you get points and win. Now let's get to some opinions. Okay, so always like to start off with that outside in idea. And uh, what can I say? The uh, First of all, the box dimension, physical, is your uh, typical ticket to ride size, a, a 12 inch, 12 inch by about three inch. Um, the uh, So that's the physical dimensions of it. Let's get to the aesthetic dimensions of it. And... Uh, Wow, do I love me some uh, Ryan Lockett art. Uh, the, I remember, distinctly remember the first time that the art caught my interest before the game uh, description or, or uh, um, recommendation caught my interest was Islebound. When I saw the, the, the swatches of color art, the, the style, the palette, the... Uh, immediately connected with me and um and again art is subjective right but my subjectivity on this was it was gorgeous and uh, it continues to be gorgeous the the world building that he's uh, created um artistically uh with the characters with the environments with the backgrounds with the 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 choice of of art style fantastic absolutely love it um i have other games that are outside of this series that um you can see the similarities because like a good artist there there's a dna that you can recognize but they're distinctly different the the Arzum series has its own look within his look so um that boom right away i get this idea and uh i love the i the concept of uh the silhouetted characters um, because that's the idea of of the any person villager that is you know um, and and again there's choices made they're descending down a slope meaning that they're going back to somewhere at least that's what I see and with knowing the narrative in the background there is uh, you know mountains smoking and so um, yeah uh, I I, uh, I I can't get enough of the art. The cards are gorgeous. The everything that has artistic uh, input on it is well done. Absolutely well done. Um, so let's move on to um, after we get to that is the components and the components are uh, the standard that Red Raven is famous for and it's quality. There, uh, the wooden components are of quality. The 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 cardboard chits everything is uh, of um, a thicker, lasting, textural. There, there's some ASMR involved with some, sometimes with some, uh, you know, flicking cards or you know, tactileness of the game. And, and everything is of quality, so there's no complaints there. Um, the rule book, um, as I said before in Three Sisters, um, you have to have a real bad rule book for me to um, get, you know, get poo-poo on it. But uh, not the case here. Um, there's great uh, distinction of background foreground. The um, incorporation of boxes to uh, bring in ideas of, um, let's say, player turns or actions or you know concepts of buildings. The, um, a very good job has been done to subtly move your eye from location to location on the page. Well done. The uh, good examples... Um, like the examples that are there are for a reason because prob most likely through playtesting 
that's where the questions arose and uh, demonstrated a need for a visual and a textual explanation. Um, the uh, the art in the or not the art but the illustrations. Um, one of my complaints sometimes is, and again, that's my, you know a user thing, old eyes, right? But the when they choose to uh, demonstrate or explain or uh, um, review a graphic or a card, you know the areas of the card, it is expanded, it's enlarged. Thank you, right? I, I mean, you don't need to like push your nose in to go, oh, that's what that is, right? Um, well done. So uh, quickly moving on to game system, game style. Uh, it is, um, so I mean, I'll, I'll run through the, the mechanical natures in this game. So you have the, the um, drafting elements of your specialists um, and um, to somewhat nature of the cards kind of taking them off the deck because you get to take two, uh, you know, take three, keep one, take two, uh, take two, keep one kind of thing. Um, hand management. You have to decide what quests that you're going to do, which ones are of value, which ones have precedence. Um, you have, again, the, if you're following the story, there's going to be narrative choices, which I would, I can't wait to go experience that. And maybe I'll do a little update when it comes to me finishing that, uh, storyline. I'm going to full of spoilers, right? Um, cause it'll be ages. No, I'm joking. Um, so, um, but as far as that, the ability to turn that into a search token, which contributes to your resources, uh, uh, brilliant. Um, solo, I, that, and that's what I've been playing. I haven't had an opportunity to play this with other players, so uh, the solo uh, is is worthwhile. All right, I mean, it does a good job to attempt to replicate the chaos of other players, and I say chaos lovingly. <laughs> tile placement. Uh, you have uh, first of all tile drafting or tile selection in your your builder's market, and then you have tile placement in your uh, village building. And I'll get to uh, a little deeper to that in regards to, well, you know what? Um, no, I'm going to talk about that as, in, as far as the uniqueness, because I, I, I thought I like that. Um, and then variable player powers. The, um, you can start out with four different types of uh, races of players, but there is also the ability to um, choose or upgrade your weapons because you're going to attack monsters so you want to you want to go you want to go to a get into a fight with a big stick um so you have the ability to asymmetrically no <laughs> not asymmetrically um you, you have the ability to uh um make more distinctions in regards to the attack nature of your of your player and on the right hand side of the uh, uh, you know opposing side of the gear is the ability to buff up your movement and buff up your defense because in a battle, and I'll quickly describe the, the conflicts because the, the other uh, um, concepts of this is um, in, the, in the action selection, you have uh, three different movement rates. You have two, three, and four. And in your turn, that's what you have options to is I get to move somewhere and then when I move somewhere, I can either choose to do the action on that space or I can search or I can have a fight. And uh, that is that action area. All of that happens because of those three movement choices. Um, once those are exhausted, you, your turn's not necessarily over because you now have the ability to um, tap your specialists. And your specialists can either heal you up or they build buildings 
or they give you a more experience, um, or they add to some of your resource uh, um, tracking. So there is always something to uh, interpret and add to the formula of what you're trying to accomplish uh, in the success of this game. So the um, the game, yeah, that game system and style. If you're familiar with Above and Below and Near and Far, this will be familiar to you as well. Um, there's some different nuances to it, obviously, but uh, yeah, the that's pretty much the game system game style uh, is that uh, those choices. Now, let me quickly talk about the you uh, the unique mechanism. And uh, I think what I want to talk about for the uniqueness is because I haven't seen this in, uh, I, I'm, I'm racking my brain, I haven't seen this in any other games, is, uh, yeah, it's a village building game, right? But everybody will have the same, uh, the, the access to the same building types, much like uh, Great Western Trail. Everyone has the same tableau of buildings that they can purchase, right, uh, available to them, and then they put it on the board. In this case, when you lay out that grid, like in, in Great Western Trail, I just put them, you know, like uh, from low, chronologically from lowest to highest in regards to the tiles, right? The tiles are numbered. These tiles aren't numbered. Uh, these tiles, you uh, shuffle them and then you lay them out in a five by four grid. And here's the cool, unique thing to it is that once that grid's there, you can't move the buildings in, the, in regards to the orientations in uh, rank and file of that grid pattern because the first time that you build, you have to build from uh, the outside, okay? So when you start, you can pretty much choose any tile to build. But once you pick a tile, right, once you peel that first tile, that, that um, negative space indentation, all the orthogonal sides that are, that are connected to that opening that you've created by this tile selection, those are your choices. So imagine this kind of negative space snake that pushes its way through that market grid. That are, those are the accessible tiles for you to build. So uh, there could be certain tiles where I need, to get, I need to generate crystals, but that building is in the middle. How do I get to it? These, and some buildings are low cost because they don't do much. Some buildings are high cost because they're very powerful buildings. You have to, before you even start building, you have to try and visualize pathways to, okay, I can, I can where, where's the line of cheap buildings that can get me uh, um, extra buildings? Because once you get those buildings, uh, I've referred to it before in regards to your player tableau, that you now have a grid that has to start from the bottom and work its way up orthogonally connected. Some spaces when you build on it will give you a bonus. Some spaces when you build on it will give you an added tax of coins because money's tight in this game. So that's, to me, that is the, the cool, unique part is not just building, but how you manage that building system. Does this all connect? I'm, I don't know. I've never, <laughs> I mean, as far as the sci-fi concept of this theme game, um, I, I don't know, there's, you know, I don't have a book to reference it to, but does it all connect for me following a narrative story? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the standard play, what I'm getting out of the standard play is understanding the mechanical nature of this game and how it functions 
uh, because I have one kind of eh to talk about. Um, and again, it's not really eh, it's just it's on half on me, right? But half on, you know, okay, but I'll get to that later. Um, you know what? Let's get to that now. I think what, what the only thing that just makes my eye kind of fatigue a little bit is uh, the nature of the crescendo. When you get to the, uh, because it, it goes over a certain amount of seasons, I, I believe it's like seven seasons, I want to say. And when you get to that last season or those last two seasons, you have so many things going on on your board and your bonuses and your extra this and I get an extra that. Uh, that it could be critical to the success of your game. Uh, and, and let me give you an example. Because I had, uh, an, uh, I had uh, um, committed a game to uh, video. And if you want to have a watch, I have a Let's Play uh, Now or Never on um, the Cardboard Conjecture YouTube channel. And when I watched it, there was a moment in the game where I'm thinking, it's coming down to this dice roll, this fight against this creature. I, I need to you know, um, uh, uh, destroy the creature in order to get the benefit, which was the villagers to create this resource cascade for me. And, uh, I had in my gear, a, a type of helm that gave me a, a, a buff to my defense. But if I had rolled a four on the D four, and I'll quickly talk about that. If I rolled a four on the D four, it would add one to my health. I forgot twice and I'm watching my health drop, drop, drop. And then it comes down to this dramatic moment in the video where now I'm like, well, it's not dramatic because I, I goofed and I forgot to add extra, you know, there's extra health. That's my only negative, I would say, is that there's a lot of things to track. But maybe half of that's on me. And, you know, there could be a lot of gamer error there too, right? Or, you know, just brain fatigue or just you know, don't, don't play a game late at night that requires this much attention I don't know but I'll take some I'll take some uh some shade for that one but for me yeah that was one of those things that now the next time when I play this game I need to slow down and go through my checklist before I commit to the action being over okay um now that being said um this yeah this does connect um, and I hope that when I get to the storyboard part, that uh, it is as, as you know, narratively fulfilling as was the two preceding games. So, yeah, my conclusion for this one, though, um, if, you, if you have played those other ones, yeah, you're going to want to play this one. I mean, you know, completionists, yeah. Um, if you have never played uh, um, a Red Raven game and you step into this one, you'll have a great experience. Um, the, the, the game has uh, a great ability to mitigate some choices. Uh, and even regards to your movement, if, you, if you're like, oh, I, don't, I can't get there. Well, you can take a hit point because you have a, a range of, of health. And I call them hit points, but they're hearts. But you can commit hearts to mitigate the distance of uh, a journey, or you can, um, uh, the hearts will also be required in your journey. If you go through mountainous terrain, you have to take a hit point uh, because of uh, thematic exhaustion. 
if you travel through, and you can travel through an area that has a, uh, a monster um, and without having to, you know, it's like typically some places, some games will say, if you travel into a zone with a monster, you can't leave, right? This one you can, you can go through, but it'll take, it'll cost you a hit point. So there's, yeah, there's, there's, um, if you, if you enjoy that kind of, um, managing, mitigating, looking at, you know, choices in quests and how that will potentially help your, um, you know, your, the, the growth of your, the race that you've created, this will be a very cool game for you. Um, if you love the narrative, and again, I can't talk about the narrative of this game, but I can talk about the narrative that is famous of Red Raven. Uh, yeah, this is, uh, they, they, they produce such great uh, choose-your-own-adventure games that, uh, yeah, you'll absolutely have fun. Um, I'm kind of like not gushing about this game. I'm trying to be reserved. Um, the, I, I enjoy, if you, I enjoy Red Raven games, so yes, I'm going to definitely enjoy this game. Will it get to see a lot of time on the table? Um, the, the storyboard, the storybook version will tell the tale, I guess, if you want to pardon the pun. Um, as far as where this is sitting on the shelf, um, this is going to sit in the middle. This is a middle shelf game. Uh, again, the, uh, it comes down to, at this point, comes down to how compelling is that story, right? Um, I also do want to try this with other players to see how the game, uh, um, you know, interaction changes. So yeah, I'm going to stick with the middle shelf um, and be happy with that. It's, a, I mean, I'm, I'm happy with the game. I I'm qu uh, quite enjoy every play that I've had of it. And uh, so there you go. Um, Red Raven games, uh, they're third in the Arzium series now or never art by Ryan Lockett and produced by uh, designed by Ryan Lockett and produced by, as I said, Red Raven games. We are now at the point of the program where I say thank you so much to everybody who took the time to listen. And with that being said, I'm your host, Norm, and we'll catch you later. This has been an episode of Cardboard Conjecture, and you can find more about the podcast on Twitter at BC Board Gamers, and you can find the podcast on YouTube by searching Cardboard Conjecture and on Board Game Geek Guild number 4045. If you wish to contact the podcast, you can email norm at cardboardconjecture.com. Thanks, eh?